Oregon has got their new defensive coordinator, and it is a very exciting hire. Plus, something you probably didn't know about Travis Dye ahead of the Alamo Bowl this week. All that and more, it's Locked on Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again. This is Locked on Ducks. Thanks for making it your first listen every day. I'm Spencer McLaughlin, your host. It's part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with your team every single weekday. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. And remember, if you are not following the show at Locked On Ducks on Twitter, make sure you do that. You can follow me if you want as well at Smalls underscore 55. Use the hashtag AskLODPod to get your questions answered right here on the show. Want this to be as fan-engaged oriented as possible. Always love to see that. So, we've got a new defensive coordinator, Duck fans, and his name is Tosh Lupoy. And many of you are probably asking, and perhaps come to the show for the very reason, to get the question answered. Who exactly is Tosh Lupoy? He's currently on the Jacksonville Jaguars staff as the defensive line coach. He does have a background as a defensive coordinator. He was with a couple of NFL teams before he got to the Jags. He was with the Browns and the Falcons. Not three of the more well-run teams in the NFL. But don't let that distract you from the fact that this is, I think, a really good hire. And his name had been thrown around for the last couple of weeks that Dan Lanning was pursuing him as the defensive coordinator. They have a history together. They were on the same staff at Alabama in 2015. Lapoy was actually the interim defensive coordinator, then he was promoted to defensive coordinator and linebackers coach on a team that won a national championship. Anytime you can bring in a college coach who doesn't just have a background at Alabama, of course the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport that we have ever seen thus far, Anytime you can get someone from that staff, it's good. Anytime you can get someone who is heavily involved in a championship team, it is even better. It's part of the reason, again, I want Dan Lanning in Georgia to do well in the college football playoff because if he's a national champion as defensive coordinator, he has a better understanding of what it takes as he comes to the University of Oregon. But So they have a background together. That's why he ultimately decided to come to Oregon, or at least that certainly helped him make that decision and come join Dan Lanning and uh, be a member of this Ducks staff, which continues to fill out. There have been lots of hires. The staff is not completely full yet, but, you know, Demetrius Martin is going to be coaching the defensive backs, and they got the Steelers offensive line coach, you know, to, again, bring that sort of NFL pedigree, which I tend to like. But the biggest thing with Tosh Lapoy coming in as defensive coordinator, is he is known as a very good recruiter. And that's the name of the game in college football at the end of the day. You have to have the guys who can go out there and make the plays. I mean, you can be as good of a scheme coach as you want, but, you know, think back to the 2011 National Championship. 
Chip Kelly out-schemed Auburn in that game. I mean, there was no business for Oregon really to be on the field with that Auburn team when you just look at the physical differences between the two sidelines. But who ended up winning the game? Now, I know Dyer was down. I've said it many times. I will say it forever. Dyer was down. But Chip Kelly was the better scheme coach in that game, but Auburn just had the better players. And that allows you to overcome any coaching shortcomings you might have if you just have guys that are straight up better. I think we've seen that with Mario Cristobal a little bit, is he clearly has some shortcomings as a head coach. He's not the disaster that some Duck fans are making him out to be, but he's you know shown that there are some limitations perhaps to his individual head coaching abilities, but when you just recruit better players, it allows for you to still win games at a high level. So Lapoy's background is pretty extensive at the college level. He's had stops at Cal and at the University of Washington as well, and as I mentioned before, at Alabama. And he has brought in some big-time names, lots of five-star guys. You just go Google Tosh Lapoy recruits 24-7 will show you that he has brought in a lot of big-time players, and that's significant. Some of the guys he has brought in include Keenan Allen, who is Justin Herbert's number one target and a uh, top five to ten or top five to seven really wide receiver in the NFL. Shaq Thompson, who has been a playmaker since the day he entered the NFL after leaving Washington. Najee Harris, Steelers running back, has given them, he's basically the best offensive player that they have because the Steelers wide receivers are a mess and just very chaotic off the field. And Ben Roethlisberger's old. And Najee Harris is really, really good. He also recruited Tua Tagovailoa and Trayvon Diggs. Those are all NFL caliber players who are not just good. They are really good, especially at the, at the college level. Tua in the NFL, you know, he's, he's fine. But in college, Tua won a national championship coming in at the half. And Tua was, uh, he got them to another national championship as well. So really big time recruits uh, on this guy's resume. And so it's going to help boost the recruiting profile. And I think that that is just fantastic because Dan Lanning coming from the SEC is not going to try to, you know, be something that he's not. What he knows is the SEC DNA, which is we're tough, big, physical, and we recruit. And recruiting is number one. Nick Saban over the years has recruited an unconscionable number of high-end players who go on to be successful in the NFL. And you don't even realize it at the time, you know, all, you know, all the time. And then you look back at some of these Alabama rosters and you say, wow, this guy's really good in the NFL and this guy's really good in the NFL. And Nick Saban had all of those guys. That's what Dan Lanning is trying to do with this hire. And, you know, I, I don't know what his background is schematically. I don't know if that's what, you know, he's really good at or known for. He's a defensive line guy specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll get to an Oregon defensive lineman a little bit later in this pod. But with Dan Lanning having a defensive coordinator background, I'm not too worried about that. If he can come in and be a really high-level recruiter, that's just going to add a lot to what Oregon is going to be able to do in the future. And I think Dan Lanning is already having a lot of success with regards to getting players to buy into his vision at the University of Oregon. So 
I like this higher. I think it's going to have positive effects downstream. Also, just, you know, might make Oregon fans feel a little bit good. There were a couple other schools that had been rumored to going after Lapoy as their defensive coordinator or as a prominent member of their staff. It's the way it is put when, uh, when I did a little digging, read some pieces online. One of those places was Florida with Billy Napier. They just got rid of Dan Mullen. And the other place was Miami and Mario Cristobal. So, you know, it's not a huge thing. I just thought I'd mention it because I think some Duck fans will kind of be like, oh, that kind of feels nice that he wanted to come and be a part of the University of Oregon. So that is uh, our new defensive coordinator, Tosh Lapoy. We'll take a break. When we come back, something about Travis Dye you probably didn't know before. And it's something to watch for in the Alamo Bowl. Plus, that defensive lineman I mentioned a moment ago. Stick around. Lots to get to. Alright, so with the Alamo Bowl coming up this week, I wanted to share something that I bet most Duck fans didn't really know. And I think it brings up a couple of interesting points. And by the way, this is uh, this episode will drop on Tuesday. Wednesday's episode will be a preview of the Alamo Bowl. So, I will, uh, I will get to all of that. But, I came across this interesting piece about Travis Dye, who has had an exceptional season, sort of a breakout year. And also, uh, j- just a side note, congratulations to Travis and his girlfriend Erin and their three dogs. They got engaged before Travis and the Ducks left to San Antonio to begin practicing for the Alamo Bowl. Wishing you all nothing but the best there. But... Uh, he said that it uh, it took some pressure off when she said yes, and you know he was able to go to the bowl game knowing that she had said yes, or it wasn't a maybe. Because boy, that would I think that would have sent anybody's head into a, a bit of a tailspin if it was a no or if it was a maybe. But she said yes, so everything is good there. Here's something about Travis Dye. I'm willing to bet you, as an Oregon fan, did not know. Because C.J. Verdell has been the number one back for the last couple of years because Mario really liked him, and I like C.J. Verdell. He does a lot of really good things. But after watching Travis Dye be the number one back this year, I kind of think he's a more well-rounded back than Verdell. He's a better pass catcher. He makes guys miss in open space better than Verdell does. Now, C.J. Verdell is probably a better pass blocker. Not that Travis Dye is bad, but Verdell is a little bit bigger. And he's a little bit more of a physical runner, but I think Travis Dye is sort of sneaky physical. But here's that little tidbit that I've been teasing you about for a couple minutes. He needs 42 yards, Travis Dye does, to become the fifth Oregon running back with 3,000 in his career. And C.J. Verdell, assuming he comes back for his next year, will also be a 3,000-yard back because he's only like 50 yards away from that mark. But... I thought that was pretty remarkable because I've mentioned on this pod before, Oregon has had an embarrassment of riches when it comes to running backs really for the last 15 years. I mean, you can go all the way back to the Fiesta Bowl in 2002 with Mo Morris. He went on to have a successful NFL career. Jeremiah Johnson, Jonathan Stewart, Michael and Kenyon, Royce Freeman. I mean, there's so many names And these are not just good backs, these are great college backs. And Travis Dye, I think, on the whole, is really underrated amongst Oregon fans. And that's why I wanted to put this out there and talk about him, because he's a really well-rounded back. 
He does a lot of things. He was Oregon's leading receiver in several games this year. But the other running backs that have reached 3,000 yards in their careers with the Ducks, amongst all of the great ones, right now only four have done it. Royce Freeman is the most recent one. Derek LaVille was the first one in the late 80s. And then Michael and Kenyon, of course, are both over 3,000 for their career because, gosh, they were good. They were so much fun to watch. I loved watching them. They were the perfect fit in that scheme with Chip Kelly. I just, it, it, was a, it was a thing of beauty to watch those two guys run the ball. They're so explosive, so smart, and, and they ran that outside zone, outside zone scheme just to absolute perfection. C.J. Verdell is at 2,920 yards, and Travis Dye is at uh, 2,958. So both of these guys are going to be among the top five or six, if they come back for another year, running backs in terms of yardage in Oregon history. And I don't think people think about them that way or appreciate them that way, and there's a couple reasons for that. One... Neither one was as heralded of a prospect as Royce Freeman, who, if memory serves, was a five-star guy. He might have been a four-star, but he was a big-time running back recruit. And when LaMichael and Kenyon were running wild in Chip Kelly's offense, it was one of the most exciting times in Oregon football history. Maybe the most exciting time. When that offense was in the zone and scoring a bunch of points, there was nothing like that, so nothing has felt that way. And because Oregon has had to rebuild in the last couple of years under Mario Cristobal and now moving into the future with Dan Lanning, and because the offenses haven't been as explosive as they were, I think it's easy to overlook what Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell have accomplished. And they've had good offensive lines, but they're also good running backs. And I just don't think people really think of them in that light the way that they should. And I mentioned that Travis Dyes had a bit of a breakout year in this season. He has a chance to you know, put an exclamation point on it in the Alamo Bowl, which I think is going to be just a fantastic game. I know it's a little bit of a letdown to not be at least in the Rose Bowl you know, after the first loss to Utah and have to go all the way or not get into the college football playoff after we're up at number three. I get all that. But this is going to be a fantastic football game, I think, and I certainly hope so. But Travis Dye this year, over 1,100 rushing yards, 230 receiving yards, and 17 total touchdowns. And the year he's had begs the question about leaving for the NFL. And whether or not Travis Dye projects to having a high level of success in the National Football League is a little up for debate. I would have to talk to someone who knows a little bit more about that because he's not a very big guy, but he's a very effective guy. And at the end of the day, Devontae Smith won the Heisman. He is now a good wide receiver in the NFL. He's not a very big guy. He's tall, but he's skinny. But he's fast, and he has good hands, and he runs good routes. And Travis Dye does a lot of those things well, you know, the, the little things as a running back. And so I'm curious to see whether or not he decides to come back. Maybe he wants to... You know, try and have an explosive game in the Alamo Bowl, showcase what he can do on national television, and then see if that will up his draft stock. I think that's perfectly reasonable, but it does make you think about where the running back room is for 
Oregon and kind of where he compares in, in the last decade or so with a bunch of other great Oregon running backs. And I'll look into that right after this. Bet Online has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. I think as far as running backs who are 5'10", 190 pounds, just generally speaking, Travis Dye runs about as well between the tackles as any that, that I've seen in college football that are that size. You know, Verdell's a little bit more physical because he's just a bigger body, but Travis Dye, I, I, I just, I really like him. And I would think Oregon would be well off if he comes back because he is such a dynamic player and you know he's got the experience and he doesn't wear gloves and that's okay because that's what works for him right it's like a golf swing if that's what works for you and you put the results that you're trying to achieve if you put that on the field at the end of the day that's what matters i remember a couple of years ago against cal at home he fumbled twice and people were all up in arms oh why doesn't he wear gloves this that and the other thing he just doesn't. He just happened to fumble twice that day. Whether If he'd been wearing gloves, it wouldn't have prevented him from fumbling either of those times. It was you know, an easy thing to look at in the moment, but I, I don't think that it would have actually changed anything. But whether or not he would go to the NFL, I, I really don't know. It looks like he is planning to play in the bowl game, which would lead me to believe he's probably going to come back. And... I think if he really wants to make himself into an NFL draft prospect or someone that GMs and scouts are willing to look at, he might need to put on a little bit more weight. He's only 190 pounds, but if he gets up to 210 and is still able to retain that lateral quickness, he might really have something there. But the running back room is really deep at Oregon. Sean Dollar is hurt this year, but Byron Cardwell Jr. is waiting in the wings, and Verdell might come back, and Seven McGee is there. So whether or not he leaves, Oregon's going to be fine at the running back position. But let's say Travis Dye comes back. And that's going to put him well over 3,000 yards. And he's going to get way up there in terms of the Oregon all-time rushing ranks. Right now, Oregon's leading rusher is Royce Freeman with over 5,600 yards in the four seasons he played, which is pretty... Uh, which, which is pretty outstanding, and he was a very good running back, and LaMichael is about 600 yards behind him at just touch over 5,000. But if Travis Dye plays in the bowl game, which it looks like he will, and then he comes back next year and has another 1,000-yard rushing season, which he absolutely could, depending on what C.J. Verdell does, but, I mean, personally, I think Travis Dye has earned the right to be RB1 come 2022, he could be Oregon's third all-time leading rusher. I mean, even if he's not RB1, he'd be over 3,000 yards for his career after this season, and then he would only be about six, five, 600 yards, depending on how many he runs for against Oklahoma. He'd only be five, 600 yards behind Kenyon Varner. And I just think that 
that's an amazing thing to think about because those guys were so good and so explosive and had illustrious careers. Now, he wouldn't be able to catch LaMichael, who's over 5,000, but we could look up at the end of the 2022 Oregon football season and Travis Dye could be the third leading rusher in Oregon history. And did anybody think that that'd be the case a couple years ago and would he even be heralded as such? I don't know if it's per- his personality or the scheme or you know the success that the teams have had while he's been there, but I just think he's a super underrated guy and he's tremendously talented. And I came across that piece and thought it deserved um, I thought it deserved a segment on the show. So that's my Travis Dye rant for the day, and I will leave you with something that was uh, very funny and is again. Good news for Oregon fans, what have I been talking about here on the pod over the last week or so as Dan Lanning has been able to convince players from all different positions to stay at the University of Oregon, get commits to flip, get commits uh, at the high school level to stay? Well, here we are again. Brandon Dorless, who pulled a fast one on the media, he was doing a press conference and he was asked about his future because... You know, after Thibodeau, he's clearly Oregon's best defensive lineman, and it's, you know, not particularly close. The guy makes absolutely fantastic plays. He can be a game record at times. But he was asked about his future, and he said, Oh, I'm declaring for the draft. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm staying. I'm, I'm going to come and play another year at Oregon. So more good news for Duck fans on that front because it's just the number of guys. I was talking in Twitter spaces earlier tonight as I'm recording this on Monday night. Uh, with, with some Duck fans, including Byron Cardwell Jr.'s dad, about how Dan Lanning is getting these guys to stay. I mean, it's just not something that you see very often. I will keep you updated as players you know, commit and leave or decide to stay or, or what's going on, but the number of times I've been able to come on here already and say, yeah, this guy's going to stay. And speaking of which, one of those guys I mentioned earlier on a previous episode was Bennett Williams. He's expected to be able to play in the Alamo Bowl, which is big, big for the secondary. Verone McKinley's future, not certain right now. He's first-team All-American, so his draft stock could be pretty high. But maybe he wants to come play for Dan Lanning and see how he could develop and what his NFL prospects could could be under, under our new head coach. So j- just lots of good news and... Uh, you should go watch that moment from Doorless. It's pretty funny. And, you know, I, I love when guys do stuff like that. It's just, they're having fun. College sports are fun. They're fantastic. I love them. You love them. And the players love them as well. Alamo Bowl preview will come tomorrow. What to look for, the matchup itself, all that sort of stuff. I appreciate everyone listening. Like and subscribe if you have not already. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.